Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Sam First Record and Club Executives and Artistic Visionaries, David Robert and Paul Solomon. Since opening in 2017, Sam First has become Los Angeles' leading jazz club for world-class, modern, eclectic, and straight-ahead jazz in an intimate setting and within walking distance of the Los Angeles International Airport. With the guidance of some of LA's top audio engineers, Sam First Artistic Director David Robert set about outfitting Sam First with state-of-the-art analog-to-digital recording gear and began documenting the current thriving L.A. jazz scene. Along with Paul running the show, they are a dynamic duo making jazz alive and thriving here in the 2023. Enjoy this interview. Okay, yeah, we're good. Yeah, hey, man, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. I got Paul here, too, but he's just on a call real fast. And Okay, Okay, cool. You want to wait? No, we we can get started talking about whatever and, yeah. Okay, so before we get into it, I just because I kind of so you you all you run the label, correct? Okay, all right. Just want to make sure that I had everything down, and then we'll kind of peel back the layers on that. So, yeah, cool. essentially, Paul Paul owns the club where we are now and the label, and I manage everything having to do with music at the club and also produce the records on the label. So he and I work really closely together on both okay. projects. Cool. Perfect. That gets me up to snuff. So first and foremost, thank you for taking a minute out today. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thanks for your interest. You bet. So, you know, having a label and having a club, especially with what we went through with COVID, had to be quite a thing. How did you survive it? And how has it changed the way that you do things now that we're kind of in this quote unquote post-pandemic period? Yeah, I mean, surviving it um, really just had to do with Paul's determination to to see it through to the other side um you know we we were uh we trusted science we you know we we um when we did reopen we reopened in a very safe way that made our customers feel safe and and, um but through the actual shutdown a big part of why we were able to stay here is because um you know the the Paul, well, actually, I'm sorry. There's something I, I would rather not record. So I just realized that I, should. <laughs> yeah. you're obviously yeah. going to do some editing. Yes. Yeah. I, I assume. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. I just, I caught myself in, in something. So anyway, um, uh, yeah. So we, um, I, I think it would be, Paul would better speak to that. That's why. Um, but essentially, you know, it, it came from the determination to be able to, you know, have a club that's still here once <laughs> once the the clouds lifted you know yeah and i think that was the main thing i think there was a lot of clubs that closed and i'm still amazed even in kansas city that you know things didn't go under when i thought they were going to go under works are you where are you located uh literally right next to lax airport in la okay 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 because there were some clubs that did go down baked potato was that there or, or the no, baked potato still around the blue okay. whale is the one that that went blue whale that's which right. was okay. really unfortunate it was a it was a really incredible space and that was kind of our east side uh, i don't know how well you know the uh, la geography but um, downtown is pretty far east and we are very far west so in a way it was really great to have have, you know these two places um you know coexisting for a while uh, um prior to covid yeah to kind of balance things out yeah Yeah. kansas city's kind of spread out like that we're we're rather wide and far-reaching so um so talk to me a little bit about how you two came together how did this whole venture begin 
kind of funny. Um, so Paul is in real estate and um, a project that he was involved in and also lived in. He actually was my dad's neighbor. So my, my dad still lives in that building. Um, so he became friendly with Paul. This was probably like, I don't even know, 12 years ago, maybe 12, 13 years ago. Um, and, you know, it turned out, oh, my neighbor likes jazz. I'm going to go. I, I'm a musician. So, you know, my dad was, oh, I'm going to take my neighbor to hear you play. And, you know, so I meet this guy, have a nice talk. I don't see him for six years. He gives me a call completely out of the blue. Hey, I'm opening a place, a bar next to LAX. Um, would you help me book the music? I mean, it was literally a single call that led to <laughs> this whole thing. And yeah. it was after six years of not speaking. It was, it was really, really kind of crazy how it, you know, how it came about. So, um, and after just one meeting six years prior. <laughs> wow. So yeah. what, how did your jazz journey begin? Where, where were you born and raised and early influences and how did it take steam? Sure. I mean, I'm from here. I'm from LA um, or a suburb of LA. Um, I grew up with my, my family is very just nurturing with the arts and creativity, my, my dad especially. And um, so music was really like early music was like Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix, Stevie Ray Vaughan. And that eventually morphed into a little bit of fusion and eventually into more acoustic jazz Um through the likes of everybody from, you know, Ray Brown and Oscar Peterson to Wayne Shorter and, you know, with Miles Davis in the 60s. And um, I was playing guitar for a long time, but uh, eventually changed that to bass uh, before my junior year of high school. And um, from there, uh, yeah, bass, you know, it was the instrument that spoke to me. And so my that's kind of what began the, the jazz journey, so to speak. What was the first uh, lo- yeah okay yeah no i see we got um yeah <laughs> we got paul here too it's a little, it's... We're on with david and paul hi hey what's up paul hey how are you well we'll take you on a quick tour of the club sure <laughs> perfect so these photographs around the actually this is part of the story the photographs around here were all taken by paul and these are what we're using as the album covers for the label Cool. So they, they surround the whole perimeter of the club. So how did you survive the pandemic? How did how did you get through yeah, it? And- well, we 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 turned into a streaming uh, club where uh, musicians were playing from their homes. We called it the solo sessions, and we had a tip jar, uh, and money went to the musicians, and money went to the furloughed staff of the club, and we just closed the door. And friendly landlord, so we didn't have to, uh, you know, pay rent. Uh, but we just mothballed the place, and and then um, we started streaming uh, instead of from people's homes. From once the you know vaccine was out, and we were streaming from the the club and without an audience. And then you know when it was time to open, we just opened back up and cleaned all the dust off and, and got going. So yeah. that's, you know, and it's just the, the, the people that, you know, wanted to keep going. The community wants it to keep going. The musicians want it to keep going. So we managed to, you know, keep it going. And you got some heavy hitters on your label now. How does it feel like to kind of, does it almost feel like a Phoenix rising? What's kind of your perception of what you went through and now? I mean, I know we're all in kind of post-traumatic, but how does it feel? 
Yeah, I think it feels it feels you know like it was like it's supposed to for us. I think we just from when we started, we had heavy hitters playing at the club um, on a nightly basis almost, and and so it just felt like a, a Buddhist. I don't know if it's called the sand, uh, you know, piece of art that was blowing away every day, and it was just gone. And so we wanted to try and uh, capture it for posterity. And so that's what we're doing with the label. So it feels right. Yeah. I, I just want to add to that, that I think the timing of it couldn't have been better because while we were shut down and while we weren't producing shows here five nights a week, Paul and I had a lot more time to invest into kind of like thinking about how are we going to start this label? How are we going to create this? And we really built out the label both, you know, from a business standpoint and also from a recording standpoint while the club was shut down and through the pandemic so that when we reopened, we were able to reopen with this kind of added bonus of uh, now the club is a beautiful recording studio and, and, you know, a place for us to, to really document the scene. You know, and I guess that's a part of being a business owner is you almost have to be a chess player. You got to think about those moves ahead because, you know, when, when all of this happened, I know LA got hit probably the hardest, one of the hardest next to New York and other places where it was just really, really bad. Um, I'm curious, the one thing, and, and I ramped up a lot of interviews over the pandemic with musicians. And I remember thinking of all of the artists out there, jazz musicians are always thrown into the unknown. You know, there's always this element from an artistic standpoint where you have to take this unexpected and make the best out of it. So I'm curious as practitioners of bringing this jazz to the forefront through live music and records, did you learn from the jazz community, that kind of notion, that Zen notion that they have of being able to do that? Was that something that helped embolden what you were going to do when you reopened? Well, David is a member of that musician community. <laughs> yeah, right, right. right. Well, I'm the one who has to learn from him all the time about how to, you know, collaborate. It's funny, I haven't really thought of this. Thank you, Joe. That gives me another way to think about our collaboration. But I, 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 um, I think, you know, he's got that language, so um, probably. I mean, I, I think the, the you know, we stay connected to the musicians. You know, part of it is definitely Paul speaking, you know, the language of, you know, providing the space for the musicians and understanding the music and then me having that, you know, direct connection with the musicians and being on that kind of level playing field, so to speak, with the musicians. And it kind of helps us all feel, you know, more like a community rather than just, you know, us being the club and them being the musicians who play. The, you know. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm used to, I'm more the business guy in the, in the, on the team. And I'm used to uh, practicing business in a way where the boundary between the, the tenant and the landlord or the customer and the client and the provider is somehow gets, broken down because um, I don't know. That's just how I've gone through my business career um, is to not really think in terms of us versus them or anything like that. It's just like, we're, we're doing something that we believe in and we know people want to have access to it. So like, let's just do it in the, in the way that works the best for the ecosystem of the musicians and the audience and the, the club. And it's honestly where we're coming from. It probably sounds like, hard to believe or unusual or something like that, or like I'm propaganda or something, but it's, it's actually where we're coming from. 
Yeah, and, and I think that's the kind of the tenacity that goes into the jazz community. You're not talking about a bunch of artists that are doing this because they're making tons and tons of money. Sure, they need to get paid. Everybody needs to pay for their rent and get things taken care of. But the the spirit of jazz is that they're going to be there no matter what. You know, I mean, there was a lot that had to peel off and, and had families and had things to do. Big cities, you can't afford rent. But I think overall, what are you noticing with the strength of the jazz community? Has it been just as strong, if not stronger than it was prior to March 13th of 2020? It's gotten incredibly stronger. <laughs> uh, you know, L.A. in particular. I, I mean, I, I can't really speak so much to other um, cities at this point, but I've lived on both coasts. I've lived in both L.A. and New York, and I've seen both scenes change over time. And L.A. has gone through so much growth just in the last, you know, really in the last like 10 years, um, maybe 12 years, but even more so since COVID. I, I think, you know, part of the shutdown um, inspired a lot of people who had been living in these kind of small, uh, you know, maybe less comfortable environments in New York and being stuck in that situation without the, the benefit of having places to play and hear music. All of a sudden they realized like maybe there is, you know, something a little more comfortable out there where I can still have that musical element. And so a lot of people relocated to LA and Oh my God. I mean, they're, they're here all the time. It's like literally every week on our calendar, we have at least two or three players who are new to the scene, which yeah. is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the young folks are definitely coming up through the scene. And, you know, it's so interesting to see the young, young, um, people, you know, yeah. young bass player, young sax player emerge. Um, you know, I'm thinking of Jermaine Paul on the bass or Devin Daniels on the sax. And there's like, a number of other people. There's just two that we, that Dave and I were talking about earlier. But um, I've also heard I was talking to our uh, counsel, uh, Phil Wild, who lives in New York uh, the other day, and he was saying that the New York scene is so strong. And there's so many young players, and he was just saying kind of what we're saying about the LA scene. He's saying about the New York scene, and so that I thought. You know, we thought like we're in our bubble here. We're like, oh, the L.A. scene is where it's at. Right. He's feeling like the New York scene is where it's at. So it sounds healthy to me. At least those two. Yeah. Well, and that's the temperature I'm getting from everybody, whether it's in Wisconsin or here in Kansas City. So my question to you is in one of the clubs that we have here is the Green Lady Lounge. And I always call it the vampire lair. You walk in, everything's there. The, the, the windows are covered. It's kind of a red glow. It's where the vampires would come. But it's such a hip club and they have their own label and they have their own station and they kind of do their own thing. A lot of kin to what you're doing. So if you right now were to sell me what you're doing, not so much with your label because people want the music and, and, and they're going to find a way, but more for your club. How right now would you sell somebody coming to LA trying to fill their itinerary and they really like jazz? How would you sell them into your club? The easiest uh, sale is if somebody's, you know, landing here or taking off, we just happen through uh, fate to be right at the entrance to LAX. We're like probably the best airport adjacent jazz club in the world. <laughs> you can walk, walk in. The, you can walk into the airport, you know, literally walk. It seems odd and place like los angeles but it's like it's like a block two blocks short blocks not even long blocks so um but you don't hear the planes inside the club we have 
thick glass and the, the way that they take off and land, it's, they're not, the sound doesn't come over here. But, um, so that would be one thing is, you know, you could start your trip to LA or end your trip to LA here at Sam first. And it's a great way to ease your way off the plane or onto the plane. Um, and then, you know, we have, uh, the room is cool. The vibe is cool. I mean, I feel like it's like danger of, of tooting on my own horn, but it's like any, you know, kind of great jazz spot in a major city in the, in, you know, in the world. It has, there's something that's, uh, you know, I don't know, <laughs> urbane or, you know, and like the, just you don't know you're you're gonna meet cool people and it's very real it's like relaxed but it's but it's like serious place it's for adults um the music's great like any night we're we're our thing is that we we really book the club for to hear people that we want to hear and we won't book people that we're not that sort of excited to to hear so you can kind of close your eyes and show up on any night and the music's going to be really high quality, which just for me in the past, it's like, how do you know if you're going to a, a live music place? Like, you know, if you don't know all the names and the people, is it going to be good? You know, in some places that you just have, you know, like it's probably going to, it's probably going to be really good, whatever the particular style of the music is. And so I think we're, we're one of those places. So, Obviously, this love affair with live music has to start somewhere. What was the first live gig, live show, jazz-related, that you saw that blew you away? Maybe mm-hmm. a quick answer to that. God, I have too many that I'm trying to think. I, the first two really great shows I saw were so great and I didn't know how great they were. And I left at the intermission because I thought it wasn't great. And then years later, kick myself for it. So I won't tell you what those are, <laughs> um, but I would say actually, you know what, as a bass player, one of the most influential shows, two of the most influential shows were within about a span of a month. I got to hear Christian McBride with his band when yeah. he was touring with the sci-fi band. It was absolutely incredible. And it was still Rodney green on drums. It was great. Um, and then uh, I, the same year I got to hear Ray Brown and it was right before wow. he passed away. Um, it was maybe six months or so past, uh, before he passed away. So um, those I would say, oh, and also Wayne Shorter's quartet. Oh, wow. Yeah. All three of which were within a span of six months or so. Wow. So, That's a lot. That's that was a lot. I, I um, my first, well, one of the first memories I have was the place, and I don't remember, it wasn't even jazz, it was, uh, but it was jazz adjacent. It was uh, a place in Winnipeg, Manitoba, when I was a teenager. I had family up there, and we'd go up, and they were, this band was playing a cover of I'll Take You There by the Staple Singers, and I'd never heard that song before. And the place was just so cool, you know, it had like this great, cinnamon coffee and you know and like just as a teenager you know it was just it seemed so cool and and then that music was so great so that was like that was a you know that was a small place and uh there was a place called the jazz cafe i was i spent uh a year in london um uh, in college and back in the 90s and the jazz cafe was a jazz spot more than it is now and uh, i got to see like Archie Shep and uh, wow. 
saw Tommy Flanagan and had an interesting thing where this I'm tall and, and this uh, shorter woman was behind me in the standing room, not only lower part of the jazz cafe. And she asked if she could stand in front of me. You know, she was like this tall. I was like, yeah, sure. And then at the end of the set, it turned out it was Tommy's wife. Wow. Uh, so she thanked me and we chatted. And then she said, you want to come over and meet the band, meet Tommy? And so we went over to their booth and, you know, got to meet those musicians. And then, so just things like that, that those are, those come to mind. So it's almost not even, it wasn't about the music as much as it was. And the music was amazing. So yeah, about that would have been nothing, but, but it was also, it was really a lot about just the, the vibe and the camaraderie or the you know, spirit of the place. And Rachel Eckroth is on your label, correct? Correct. Yeah. So yeah, she's, yeah. And she's amazing about, God, man, my, I feel like a Dali painting, the melting clocks. I can't keep up with time during the pandemic. It just uh, eludes me. But I think it was about a year ago that I got press passes when she was with St. Vincent. And that was amazing. Like Jason Faulkner, who's native to LA. I love Faulkner. Um, he's, he tours with back and he's just a perennial badass. Um, but he was there. Rachel was there. St. Vincent. She's amazing. So anyway, I, that, that was wonderful. She's, and I, I really want to talk to her about her latest album, which leads me in to my next question. Let's get to the good, good business here of your club, where people can find out about getting involved, your lineup. That what's going on with your label right now? Let's lay it all out. Sure. Want me to take it? Yeah, go ahead. So as far as the club goes, uh, we're open five nights a week, Tuesday through uh, Saturday, uh, occasionally on Sundays too. But you can find out everything about our calendar at samfirstbar.com. A lot of people mistakenly think it's Sam's First, but it's actually just samfirstbar.com. Um, and as far as the label goes, uh, oh, and you, you can sign up. There's a neat little box. You can put your email in there and oh, yeah. sign up for the, the weekly newsletter. Yeah. Okay. Tuesday morning newsletters. It just went out <laughs> Right on. So for next week's. Um, and then, uh, and we keep quite a bit of information on there, you know, about the shows and, uh, and the newsletter has a video that kind of shows, uh, what's coming up. Um, and then, uh, as far as the label goes, we have, Three records, vinyls that are out right now. Um, one with Justin Coughlin, incredible pianist. Uh, sure. Josh Nelson, another incredible pianist, who I'm sure you know through Matt Otto. Um, yeah. And then also Joe LaBarbera, legendary drummer, yeah. Bill Evans, everybody. Um, so we have three records out with those guys right now. And then upcoming, we have Rachel Eckroth's record coming out on October 6th. Um, it's out right now for digital download, but the, the vinyl comes out October 6th. And then really cool, interesting project on November 10th. We have a group called Clam City, which is actually uh, Jeff Babco, uh, incredible pianist and keyboardist, um, with Tim Lefebvre on bass and Mark Juliana on drums. Um, going all sorts of different directions, yeah. always staying still grounded and i mean it, this is like some really really incredibly innovative and very live capturing moments so we're really proud of these major league jazz yeah gentlemen thank you thank you for opening up thank you for uh um taking time out today man best of luck with everything 
Thank Thanks. you, Joe. Thanks for what you yeah. do. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in L.A., Kansas City, and spots all over the globe, giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to both David and Paul for their time, energy, and cool. If you want to hear more interviews, you can find Neon Jazz interviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.